Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast featuring the Crop Doctors. Good morning from the Crop Doctors Podcast Studio in Stoneville. Tom and I have Hunter Bowman again, so welcome back. And we also have Dr. Connor Webster from the LSU Ag Center. Connor, how are you, man? Good, how are you? I'm good. So we're going to give Connor an opportunity to tell you all about himself in a minute. But So, Connor, you've been on the job for, what, eight, six months, seven months, first of the year? Since February 15th. February the 15th. I was the research associate in the program, so before I started, I'd already started. Connor is the rice weed scientist with the LSU Ag Center, so he lives in Baton Rouge or the Baton Rouge area, works in Baton Rouge, and then I guess you commute to Crowley every day during the summer at least. Yeah, every day during the summer, usually Monday through Thursday, I'm, I'm in Crowley. I try to stay in Baton Rouge and and do some other stuff on Friday just because traffic getting back to Baton Rouge is, is ridiculous on a Friday afternoon trying to get over the Mississippi River. Yeah, I'm going to let you comment about that in a minute. Tom, we got Hunter is our new rice agronomist. Connor's the new rice weed scientist in Crowley. How old do you feel? Old. <laughs> I, and I don't normally feel old, but so, look, looking around, it makes me feel just a little bit older. Is there a new pathologist in Crowley, too? There is. Okay. His name's Felipe Dalalana. That's exactly right. He was a postdoc at Penn State. Semi-new rice specialist in Crowley, Dr. Levy. And I can say that because I know Levy well, and he's probably not going to listen to this, so I can And you can really, say that tongue-in-cheek yeah, because could, then if we factor yeah, old can, into it. I can basically well. say anything I want to about Levy. A, it'll just roll off if he actually does hear it, and, and two, it wouldn't bother him. He'll just smile at you. It'll be okay. <laughs> I love Levy. Don't y'all have a fairly new baby at home? Yeah, she just turned seven months, I think. What's the? Well, she turned seven months in two days. All right, then, Hunter, you got one that's due. So, Connor, what's your best advice for Hunter at this point on the kids' front? Make sure you get a good wife. I've definitely been on the road a lot this summer, and I haven't been as home, been at home as much as I'd like to during these early months, but she's been a trooper. So to interpret that for you, Hunter, the important part of Connor's answer was, whew. <laughs> uh, Keep your wife happy. Everybody's told me, build up on sleep before the baby gets here. I don't know if Madison realizes how much stuff we're going to be going to this fall uh, right after the baby's born, so... Pray for me during that time. See, this is where my old age will come in, a little bit of wisdom. You can't bank sleep. That, that just doesn't work like that. I wish it did, but it doesn't. And the older you get, the less you'll sleep, no matter what. We just got to enjoy it now, though. That's right. We had a three or four month stretch where she was sleeping seven to eight hours a night. And we tried to switch swaddles into a bigger swaddle with the arms off of it. And now she's up every two or three hours and we can't get her back to sleeping again. We got spoiled early on. Man, we were so blessed. We, we had two good sleepers. If they'll let you get some sleep, you got a fighting chance to... Maintain humanity? Yeah, man. But if they don't let you sleep, it is rough. So we spent three months fixing up a nursery, making it all nice, neat, and cute. And then yesterday, we put a little baby bed in the bedroom. So I didn't understand what the point of the nursery was if the baby's going to sleep right beside us in the bedroom. Pictures, dude. It's just to make you feel better. Yeah. Okay. You got to go in there and take pictures and all the cute stuff. 
Connor, so give us some backstory. Where are you from? Where'd you do your schooling? And some of those just basic type comments about who you are. So I'm originally from North Alabama, about 15 minutes outside of Huntsville, which has really blown up in the probably the past 10 years. There's a survey that came out where, where Huntsville was ranked uh, top, or I guess the top place to live in the United States. So you never want to see your hometown on the top of that list because it's just going to keep blowing up. But my dad and brother are consultants in North Alabama. Um, I started scouting crops, cotton corn, and soybeans when I turned 14. And that was mainly because my dad bought me a dirt bike for Christmas, and I had to pay off my debt by working. So that was always an interesting experience starting that early but uh it's definitely beneficial for me i had a lot of experience going into college where i went to get my undergrad at auburn university in uh agronomy and soils uh when i was at auburn i worked for the the baseball team which was a pretty cool experience because i knew i was going to be in agriculture for the rest of my life so i just kind of wanted to do something a little bit different and i always played baseball growing up uh so with that experience i got to actually traveled to every SEC town. Uh, so I went on a lot of weekend road trips with the baseball team. And then I was also the president of the agronomy or crop soil environmental science club at Auburn for, for one year during my senior year. And then after I graduated, I think I had about a week. And then I started my master's at LSU working in rice wheat science. Um, after I finished my master's, I was actually looking at coming to Mississippi State to work under under Jason and then Eric Webster, my uncle, he made a counter offer to, to keep me at LSU. So I ended up staying at LSU for my, for my PhD. And after about a year or two, I moved into a full-time research associate position. And then about six months later after that, that's when Eric informed me that he was going to take the, the job at university of Wyoming. It kind of took me about a week and I realized I needed to hurry up and finish up so I could have a chance at getting this uh, rice wheat science job here at LSU. Uh, so I ended up finishing about a year before I was planning on finishing because when you go to a full-time research associate, you have to take a year off of school, either that or you have to pay out of your own pocket. So I, I paid uh, some money out of my own pocket to finish up my, my classes so I could be eligible for this job. And then I started this position in February middle of February, which was kind of right when rice season was starting to take off for us. Uh, my phone immediately started ringing with burn down questions. Uh, so I was thrown right into the mix, but we have several growers that'll actually begin planting in the middle of February. So I started right at the beginning of the growing season. So my position is a uh, research extension and teaching. So I have a three-way appointment. Uh, my teaching appointment's pretty small, but it's just a, a one class a year, so it's it's not too terrible. But it's a big adjustment going from grad school to uh, being a professor. So I'm I'm still learning as I go. Well, we're still learning too, dude. <laughs> Nothing's going to change there. Fifteen years in, and I still swear I learn something new every week. Here's a little piece of trivia for you, Tom. Connor said that about possibly going to come up here and go to school when Connor decided to stay in Baton Rouge. That's how Hunter Bowman got to Stoneville. Yep. I got worried that uh, Connor had decided he was not coming and made a phone call. That kind of shows you how small a world we live in. <laughs> no, <it's>, that, absolutely. <laughs> and and everything is. happens for a reason. So remember that. That's pretty important. And way back when, Eric Webster, Connor's uncle, is one of the main reasons that I ended up in weed science. 
very small world when you get to talking about agriculture, even though we're all spread out all over creation, it feels like it's a really small world. I've called you quite a few times this year with questions. So. You call me anytime. I don't know. I don't know how much help I am, but I sure called your uncle a lot over the years. I called him a good bit. Connor, I worked in two different programs throughout grad school at the University of Arkansas and then at Mississippi State and kind of developing my program this year. You know, I don't think mine mirrors either one of those programs. So maybe just talk about, you know, some of the things that you saw throughout grad school that you might be changing or implementing as you're creating your program and making it your own. We had a pretty good staff of graduate students when I was still in school and then so when I finished, I finished with two other PhD students. So that's been the biggest change is we lost three PhDs in the program. So we lost Eric, who had been working in rice for 24, 25 years. And then we lost two rice weed science PhD students that went on and, and uh, got jobs and are seeking jobs. So just rebuilding the program from a, a personnel standpoint has been my biggest challenge. Uh, so it's going to take me a a couple years to, to get back to where we were in the program with the amount of experience that we had. Um, we actually lost a, a research station employee who just retired and took another job with the USDA. So I was, I was happy for him to, to start a new career and be able to start a new retirement system. Um, he was actually contemplating not taking that job because he didn't want to leave me in my first year. And I was like, I just had to sit down and tell him, like, you got to take that job. You can't just stay here because of me. Uh, and that really speaks to, to that guy's character. He's done a lot for me when I was in grad school, so he doesn't know me anything. I seem to be rebuilding the program a little bit quicker than I expected. I'm potentially looking at having two new master's students come in, one in January and then possibly one in May. So that's going to be a big help next year. Uh, early in the growing season, I had one master's student, and that was it. So our Acadia Parish agriculture and natural resource agent jeremy a bear he he really stepped stepped up and and helped me out on the on the south farm for from a research standpoint helping me spray plots and everything uh, so that's been my biggest challenge is is rebuilding from a personnel standpoint so it kind of helped that i knew the program because i was i was running it as a research associate uh, so i didn't have to learn that facet of it so I've kept a lot of the same stuff that we were doing, uh, changed a few different things, nothing too major yet. I'm looking to bring in some more technology, maybe looking at a spray drone in the future or something like that. That would be a, a little bit of a change for the program, but mainly just uh, from a personnel standpoint, trying to figure out how to build a, build a program back up. So I know for me, having a weed science background with both of my degrees, and getting thrown into this agronomist position, a lot of the stuff people want you to look at is more fertility-type work. So for me, it's it's been more of a challenge of how do I blend my weed science knowledge with the fertility work that needs to be done and kind of try to fill a little bit of that gap with what I know. That's kind of the nice part about this weed science job is I knew a lot about rice weed science coming into it, so I didn't have the necessarily the learning curve of trying to learn a completely new position like you have but we've definitely reached out to each other this year and and asked each other questions and helped each other so it's it's nice to have somebody that i was in kind of not in school with but going through school at the same time to to build a relationship early in our career like that will be will be big later on for us no y'all are absolutely right about that that 
having some folks that are having the same experiences that you're having this management thing that y'all are talking about and just finding your way in, in how to, that stuff comes at you so fast in a new job. It's good to have some folks that are kind of doing the same thing at the same time. I mean, y'all can talk to me or guys like Tom or other folks, Daniel Stevenson in your case, Connor, but it's not the same because we did it so long ago. You know, it's just not fresh in our memory. And so when you're having those experiences at the same time, it's it really helps soften the blow, I think. Well, and the <clears throat> how fast the technology is changing just since you and I started, Jason, the whole precision ag technologies exploded and Connor mentioned, you know, using drone technology for that. I mean, that's going to become increasingly important and there are not, there don't seem to be as many people in your and I's age bracket that do that type of, of work. It seems to be some of the younger, more savvy people that really get involved in that. And it's even more basic than that with the technology the number of flags we used to stick in the ground, the wire flags, for those of you that have never been around a, a research study before. I mean, we used to mark all the corners and lines and stuff with flags, and we would measure with 300-foot tapes. And now we may stick a flag in the ground somewhere, but we do it all with precision guidance system now. So the number of people we need has gone down. And the time required to do that kind of stuff has gone down tremendously. So all that's changed in the time that, that we've been doing it. I'm looking at Hunter. You've never strung out a 300-foot tape in the time you've worked for me, did you? Or not very often. Not here, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, we did, for sure. My, my first probably three or four years, that's how we did it. And then two years ago, we got a, uh, a GPS system on our tractor. And the, talking about the amount of flags, we'll probably save the money that we spent on that GPS system <laughs> and money that we spent on flags in five years. That's that's <laughs> it, a fact. It'll I, pay for itself. I have said that same thing. I mean, it's unbelievable the number of flags, especially when you have small plots like rice plots. It takes a, a lot more flags because there's a lot more plots out there. Oh, yeah. And I mean, as a plant pathologist, we do things a little crazy. The 12-foot plots, and we're running 50 tiers of those in a field right. so you can just imagine the number of flags we'd gone through fields looked hilarious when we measure that off and flag it stake it and everything else connor you mentioned burn down back early in the spring winter time for us spring for you but just kind of moving on up into more current times what kind of calls have you been getting for rice in louisiana i've gotten a lot of calls on stuff that necessarily shouldn't be in rice field that should have been taken out with a burn down but you know the price of roundup going from 10 12 dollars to 58 dollars 60 dollars a gallon uh there's a lot of people cutting cutting cost on on burn down applications and it's just been a, a pay me now or pay me later kind of situation i've had a lot of stuff that people planted into and then we're trying to kill in crop when it could have been easier handled easier up front um, I've gotten some calls about stuff like spurge and some some stuff that could be taken out with a flood. But yeah, I think there was a lot of a lot of cost cut early in the growing season from a burn down standpoint. Uh, the ones that did get a, a good burn down, they tended to spend a little bit more money in their pre-emergence, so they they were a little bit better off in the front half of the growing season. But that that's been the real big challenge early in the growing season is is the lack of input and in, in a burn down uh, situation. I know one of the questions I've heard is, how much can I cut my rate? One of the th ways to look at that is, you know, you're not going to save dollars by cutting a few ounces 
off of your application. So it's really going to hurt you more in the long run cutting that rate than just go ahead and spending a few extra cents and getting the weed control that you're looking for. One thing that I did tell some people is if you want to cut your rate of Roundup because it's getting expensive, cut it back 16, 24 ounces and just use it for grass control. Don't, don't use it for, or don't expect much broadleaf control, even though you probably will. And then throw in 2,4-D for your broadleaves. Uh, so that's one way that I've told people that they can kind of cut back a little bit on their on their Roundup. And especially when you're spraying Roundup from a burn-down standpoint, uh, if you drop your carrier volume, you tend to get less less antagonism from your calciums and your magnesiums in the water. You know, Connor, my passion is I enjoy doing the research, but I really like the field calls and going out. Uh, looking at things, trying to solve problems. That's why I wanted the position that I have is to get to do that. What are some of the issues that you've been called about that you've got to go out and look at and try to figure out a solution to this year? Yeah, one of the, the big ones that we've had is is new path carryover, um, actually from two cropping seasons ago. Uh, so this is one that me and Ronnie Levy looked at several times early in the growing season, probably five or six different farms that we went to together. And the first farm that we went to, or that I went to, is a field of PBLO3, and then he had a field of PBLO3 about two miles down the road. They sprayed Provisia, same batch over both of those fields, and one field was pretty banged up, and the other field wasn't touched at all. So I was out there just scratching my head, couldn't figure it out. And on the one field, on the one farm that he had some uh, injury on his PBLO3, he had a cut where he had some Max Ace rice and sprayed high card. So Max Ace is the rice tech version of Provisia, and high card is their version of the herbicide with the safener in it. So in the field where they sprayed the, the safe and high card on the Max Ace, it didn't seem to have near as much injury. So I was sitting there scratching my head, and we drove down to the other field, and he said, this is the same load that, of Provisia that was sprayed on the other farm where we're getting injury and sprayed here. Uh, came right here immediately, and they had sprayed three or 400 acres of Provisia rice earlier that day, so that threw out tank contamination. And the only difference in those two farms was the farm that we had the injury on was in crawfish last year, and the farm that didn't have any injury was fallow. And then two years ago, both of those farms were in the Clearfield system, and they sprayed two applications of New Path. And after that second application of New Path, they went right to flood. So one big difference in all the other rice growing areas in South Louisiana is we rotate rice and crawfish. So what happened there, the field that had the injury last year was crawfish, and the other field was fallow. So we went, sprayed New Path and then went completely anaerobic. So we didn't have any kind of microbial degradation uh, throughout that off season or throughout that next year because it had a flood of water across it. And then once they dropped the the crawfish pond and were getting ready for for rice production, we had a really dry winter this year. So your your two major factors in herbicide persistence is an anaerobic flooded condition and an extremely dry condition. So we had both of those in the same growing season. So the stars lined up in that field that had crawfish production in it last year to make that new path persist for longer than it should. And that field, when they sprayed it, wasn't showing any kind of uh, new path or ALS symptomology, but it was just enough new path still hanging around in that soil to be stressing that rice, but it wasn't showing it on the above ground surface. 
So when they sprayed it, the Provisia caused a, a pretty substantial amount of injury. After kicking around for an hour or two, we, we finally decided to take some soil samples and get those sent off. And the field that was in crawfish production last year came back with 1.9 parts per billion of emazepapir in the soil, whereas the field that was fallow, uh, there was no detectable amount of emazepapir. So that's that's it. That ended up being what, what was going on. So that rice that was in crawfish had just enough emazepapir in the soil to be causing some stress to that rice. And then when we hit it with provisia, it banged it up pretty bad. And then probably the most recent farm that I've been to with that issue, they had one field of, of max ace rice on one side of the road and one field of conventional rice on the other side of the road. And both of the fields were two years ago in clear field rice. And then last year, both of the fields were in crawfish production. The field, the clear or the conventional field this year had just, I think, facet and permit. Uh, applied to it, whereas the Max Ace field had two shots of high card. So there was probably emazepapir in both of those soils, and both of those soils, and both of those fields. But the the injury or the stress that high card causes on Max Ace as well as Provisia on Provisia brought that new path out, whereas in the conventional rice it didn't bring that injury out. So that was a a pretty unique scenario. You know, that's just not one we've had to deal with over the years one because the majority of our rice is going to be rotated and it's going to be rotated with soybeans and then two where we do have continuous rice it has been up to this point continuous clear field rice now we did have some conversations with guys that were in a continuous rice system about breaking that chain so to speak of new path after new path after new path so that they could commit to either provisia or to max ace so those conversations got a little bit creative and maybe put some soybeans where we wouldn't have liked to put soybeans, but knowing that we potentially would have a problem there when we planted a non-clear field or, or full page rice. I guess the gnarliest new path carryover I've ever seen was cotton behind clear field rice, and it will do a number on some cotton. It's been one of those years where the stars aligned perfectly That's right. for us and we might not ever see it again, but the last big carryover problems that we had, Connor, was 2010 and 11. We had a lot of fumescifen carryover on corn and grain sorghum, and I really haven't seen it since then. But the, like what you described, periods of months during the winter time, those two years were just unusually dry, and we set ourselves up for some problems the following year. Where we've seen the issues with the quasalifop in Mississippi is being during. Extended periods. Tell people what quasalifop is. Okay, so quasalifop is the active in provisia and high card. Uh, high card actually has the safener mixed with it too. So where we've seen the issues with that in Mississippi this year has been, you know, when it was applied around a long extended period of cloudy, humid weather. So when that rice is already stressed and then you hit it with that herbicide, that stress that it puts on it uh, is just exponential i'd say to the injury put it in layman's terms it whacked it for sure so connor hadn't y'all seen that before in louisiana that scenario that hunter described with the weather yeah last year last year was it was really bad for provisia injury just because it was so so cloudy early in the growing season and it was pretty cold so both of those factors play into it but yeah last year we we got quite a few calls on injury even some some new path on clearfield jasmine injury and we we were convinced that they mixed up the seed and 
we took some tissue samples and got it ran, and it, it was Clearfield Jasmine, uh, which kind of surprised us. All right, Connor, as a young scientist, I think one of the things that we all are faced with would be related to the development of resistance. Do you have any new or additional topics that are ongoing within Louisiana rice production that you'd like to kind of talk about for a minute? So with the Provisia system, we're seeing similar stuff that happened with the Clearfield system, um, which was the your Clearfield varieties outcrossing with your your weedy or red rice. So we're starting to see that in the Provisia system. And most farms, it's year three in Provisia. So some people went Provisia in 18, which was the first commercial year, to crawfisher beans back to Provisia, crawfisher beans back to Provisia. And this year, and we've had several farms where they uh, called us about some, some misses when spraying two shots of Provisia, which two shots of Provisia shouldn't miss red rice. Uh, so we, we took some samples of those fields, and uh, Dr. Adam Famosa, he's our uh, our rice breeder here at the station. He can actually he can run those samples and find the Provisia gene if it is in that that weedy rice population. So we've we started picking up on some some Provisia outcross, and most of that stuff is new path and Provisia outcross red rice. And the reason they're in Provisia system, the Provisia system is because they had the, the new path or Clearfield outcross red rice. It's happened quicker than we expected it to, but we knew it would happen eventually. Uh, so one of the big things with that is just making sure that when you go to the Provisia system, you need to make sure you clean up any any escapes that you have in the field. And BASF actually just labeled a, a three-shot uh, program so instead of two 15 and a half ounce applications now you can put out three 10 ounce applications so provisia is the same as a sure two which we use in uh, soybeans it used to be used for red rice control around seven eight ounces uh, so we get pretty good activity with 10 ounces of provisia on some small actively growing red rice so the three shot program tends to have a, a pretty good fit to give you that third shot in your back pocket so you can make sure you don't have any red rice that goes to goes to reproductive stages and has the opportunity to outcross with our provisia rice. And some of those fields were, were a result of putting provisia out of the plane with some pretty low carrier volume. So you need to make sure you're using a good carrier volume so that you're getting good coverage and you don't have those escapes that can eventually outcross with the provisia system. On the acres of Provisia that we've had in Mississippi the last few years, that has been one of the biggest things guys, consultants have asked for, I guess, or noticed they needed another application. They needed one more shot. And those of us that were working with that technology as it was coming on, and I by no means had any influence over it, but I always advocated for that third application. And I think Connor's, predecessor eric would say the same thing we need that third treatment because it's just super effective i mean it works really fast unbelievable amongst the rice herbicides that we have so we always thought that we needed that third application and unfortunately in connor's case the cat's kind of out of the bag now and once the cat gets out of the bag he's usually a devil to get back in the bag connor i don't remember and i know you weren't around I don't remember how long it was. So the first commercial year of Clearfield, I think, was 2002. And I don't remember how many cycles of Clearfield we went through, if you assume a one-in-one 
rotation, one year clear field, one year out to whatever else. I don't remember how many cycles we went through before we found, or I say we, the rice industry, found that first outcross red rice. But I remember it being longer than what we expected. I think the big difference in the new path and the provisious system is the residual activity that you're getting from new path. So after you spray, you're still getting control on germinating red rice, whereas provisious, you spray and you kill all your red rice and you just open it back up for more germination. So I, I think that's probably the big difference in the timeline that it took to have clear field outcrawls versus provisia outcrawls. I commend you both for having good conversations amongst yourselves already. I think that's really important for young scientists to get to know one another. And that's a really important thing moving forward because should you stay in one of these positions, you will be working together for your entire career. I think, uh, you know, one of the benefits of being friends with Connor is that they're a little, they're always a little bit ahead of us in Louisiana. So he sees some of the issues a little earlier in the year before I might. So it's easy to call him, you know, and lean on him when I have those issues and I have questions. He might have already seen it that year. I look forward to that working relationship. Well, and you both should be commended for continuing to address field calls and field observations. Walking fields is super important. I will be a, I'm a staunch advocate of that uh, in all regards because I think that's really important. So, all right. Thank you both. Great to talk to y'all. Thank our regular listeners. We really appreciate the continued comments and support. Stay cool down there, dude. (laughs) I'll try. The Mississippi Crop Situation Podcast is a production of Mississippi State University Extension. 